Well, hello, friends, listeners, everybody. Welcome to My Sister Made Me View It, The Way of Kings. Well, it's not Way of Kings. It's the Stormlight Edition, but we're doing Words of Radiance. It's just old habits die hard. Uh, I also wanted to announce something pretty cool before the thing even starts. Uh, So the Brandon Sanderson Convention is going to be held November 14th and 15th at the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, Meg signed us up to do a live recording of Words of Radiance uh, for My Sister Made Me View It podcast uh, episode. Uh, We're going to be recording that at Dragonsteel, the Brandon Sanderson Convention, on Monday, November 14th at 7 p.m. Don't even worry about the fact that Brandon Sanderson is speaking at that same time. Just don't... Don't go to the main attraction. Just come to this little freak of a sideshow that we have. <laughs> Anyways, we are very excited to be doing this. And it's just going to be fun. And it's going to be super low stakes. And we're very excited for it. So we hope to see you there. Even if you don't come listen to us, we hope to see you there at the convention. You guys are all great. Without further ado, here is <gasps> Words of Radiance. Hi everyone, welcome back to another week of My Sister Made Me View It. It's still my birthday, <laughs> and Emily still has COVID. <laughs> Just as an update. But an update from me is I finally tested negative today. Yay! So after completely messing up my first test, it was very <laughs> sad. I was trying to squeeze drops out of the little dropper thing, and nothing was coming out. So I squoze a little harder, and the front just completely came up, and it spattered my test sample all over the counter. Exactly zero of it landed in the test. And I'm like, well, that's not very fair. So I had to take another one. Using so up all our tests. I Sorry. <laughs> so my nose got a real good scrubbing out Ugh, for my birthday. Nasty. <laughs> oh, this week we are talking Words of Radiance again. Uh, and my name is Megan, and I should get back to prepping for my musical meeting tonight. My name is Emily, and once this is done, I'm napping. But instead, instead we're making a podcast. <laughs> oh, Emily. That was terrible. Emily, something happened in this week's reading of chapters 22, Lights in the Storm, 23, Assassin, and 24, 10. Hey, Emily, um, how did Kaladin's talk with his boss go? Okay, so we have mentioned this before that I'm just like, I know exactly what's going to happen. And, like, I will make predictions. And sometimes they come true, but they always come true a lot earlier in the plot than uh-huh. I expect them to be. And this was one of them. So what we're talking about is Kaladin tells Dalinar what Amaram did. Yeah. And... I was expecting it to be like a huge turning point in everything. But basically Dalinar is just like, let's put a pin in this. Like we'll talk about the, the interactions more. But that was, I, I was so surprised that it happened early and the way that it happened. Yeah. Oh, so uh, first off, Emily, can you give us the epigraph to yes. 22 Lights in the Storm? Storm form is said to cause a tempest of winds and showers. Beware its powers. Beware its powers. Though its coming brings the god their night, it obliges a blood-red spren. Beware its end. Beware its end. 
from the Listener Song of Winds f- fourth stanza. Have we seen any weird red spren in this book so far? Uh, Caledon thinks he does here. Jumps like lightning, lightning, lightning. <laughs> uh, Sill, I believe, has mentioned also some strange red lightning spren so far. And, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, which I probably am. When Dalinar has one of his visions and they're walking through the Pure Lakes, doesn't he see a weird red spren? He sees a spren with red eyes. Red but, eyes. Hey, Emily. Hey. What a cool connection you've just Thank made. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so this is during the high storm. That's how the, the thing starts out. And it's Kaladin, some other guards, the king, Adolin, Renarin, uh, in one room, and Navani and Dalinar in another room. Oh, <laughs> having a vision, probably. <laughs> and Kaladin is kind of focusing on this window that's, like, letting all this water in. And he has a moment where I don't think he's all the way present. And it talks about something was out there in the dark chaos of the high storm. It thrashed and pounded at the window, wanting in. Uh, and it talks about, I swear it talks about something red, but maybe He's, not. Yes. It he does. does. He does. He spots something. Oh, then let's see. Uh, yes. Yeah, steady like glowing spheres just outside, faintly red. For some reason he couldn't explain. Kaladin had the impression of eyes. Ugh. Okay, so we're getting into, like, the mystical parts of this sort of a thing. And I'm going to need so many more dots to connect once we get deeper into mm-hmm. it. But it to me, it seems like there's something outside. And I'm trying desperately to connect it to the face that Kaladin saw when he was tied outside mm-hmm. and survived the high storm. So I, I'm intrigued because I'm just like, yeah, we have a really good footing in this world we understand how this world works we understand what's going on and then all of a sudden brandon in this and another chapter in our reading is just like oh guess what here's a deeper look into this world that you didn't know like there's more it's it's just really cool there's much more (laughs) kaladin sees something in the storm (laughs) okay sorry It's your birthday. You can do it. It is time. my birthday. And uh, mom says I get to choose the podcast. <laughs> um, our favorite all-time character is back. Moesh? No. Oh. Elokar. Oh, that guy. <laughs> so we got a listener email that had a lot of nice things in it, uh, but also a bit of a line that said, you're too nice to Moesh and you're too mean to Elokar that I say that's just like your opinion <laughs> sorry it's a quote from the Big Lebowski have you not seen that movie I've not seen that movie never mind sorry yeah it's that's... <laughs> I just look at her like you can't say that about our listeners so yeah that's a bit where Jeff Bridges is like that's just like your opinion man <laughs> it's a gift I like to use sometimes okay, I believe you but anyway I and I would Honestly, counter with, I feel at this point in the books, we're treating them exactly the way the narrative has asked <laughs> us to so far. But you know what? That may change. Maybe okay, Moesh stop. Will... I need to go on a tangent real fast. Okay. I'm so upset about this. Oh, no. what I do? Not you. Okay. Brandon. What'd he do? <laughs> so I like making snap judgments about people. Yes, you do. And I hate being wrong. 
Brandon has set up Gaz to be a decent, semi-decent human being. I'm going to have to change what I think about him. And I'm so upset about that! Because you're going to have to change the way you think about a person based on how they may or may not be changing themselves? Yes! Are you saying that characters can change? (laughs) I don't want them to. I do. I just talked about the last episode how I love character arcs. Yeah. I'm just saying, I I also hate being wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I'm supposed to guess what Brandon's going to do for his entire book. That's impossible. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. How That's what I want not, to do. How could you not divine everything that happens in the 3,000 pages <laughs> we've read so far? So I, this is good writing. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying I'm upset that I'm not psychic and can decide you're good, you're bad, you're in the middle. Yeah. Not everyone in our family is psychic. No, it's Some very, of us are. It's very unfair. Megan. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what episode, but I directed you in a conversation in which you ended up guessing a ton of stuff in book three. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, when we get there, will you tell me? When we get in book three? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When we we hit your predictions. But so you are psychic. You just don't realize when it's happening. I don't know my own strength. Um, Elokar shows up. Yep. Here he is. And he is complaining because the water's coming in and that's annoying like I don't I understand why he's this complaining. is his room it's his room yeah but he's like the shutter shouldn't leak this is my palace not a, vi- a village tavern and Adolin is sitting there flipping through a fashion magazine and kind of I I saw it as yeah 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 we'll get to it kind of like yeah we've heard this before like this is what I expect from my cousin you know I'm gonna visiting my cousin who Oh, my cousin. Yes, which one? The only one I have. It's my cousin. <laughs> uh, Ever After the Musical, starring yeah. Sierra Bagas as Danielle. Who's the dude? Who's Prince Henry? Some guy. Okay. I don't remember. Some I only had eyes for, I had eyes for Sierra. Um, so the chapter goes through and lists everyone that's there. We've got Adolin flipping through a fashion magazine. Renarin. <laughs> I love you, Adolin. <laughs> Renarin in it. He's, I think he's still wearing his plate and he has a small box out of his pocket and it doesn't tell us what it is, but he plays with it and like turns it over and over in his hand the whole time. And by the end of the chapter, Megan, this is my fear. Are you afraid? I am afraid. Renarin might be behind. Might I'm afraid he's going to end up being an evil mastermind. Because of the box? Yeah, because we don't know what it is. It's a fidget toy. For real? For realsies. Oh! Okay, it says he got in a small box out of his pocket, was repeating, repeatedly opening it, turning it in his hand, rubbing one side, and then shutting it with a click. He did it over and over and over. He stared at nothing as he did it. He seemed to do that a lot. So is Renarin the right phrase not neurotypical neuroatypical neuroatypical maybe him and Kaladin so far yeah 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 I love this yeah me too me too and it's like Kaladin doesn't know what that is Mm -hmm. but it's just a little it's a little behavioral thing that Renarin has uh I don't use fidget toys but my hands always have to be doing stuff if I'm paying if I need to pay attention to something Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's really awesome. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Awesome, Brandon. Neurodivergent. Neurodivergent. That is what it is. Yeah. 
sorry, neuroatypical is what fe- is the term that Fiona likes to use in elementary, the best Sherlock Holmes TV show. <laughs> Howard Taylor and Dad Wells both agree with me because they were talking about it the other day. Oh, um, Howard, I know you totally listened to this podcast. I got lost after we dropped you off at home. Do you remember? No. I took the wrong turn. We got home, though. We got home. Yes, we did get home eventually, but I'm just bad at directions. It was dark. And I was like, let's not use Google Maps. Let's use our instincts. (laughs) But, yes. Oh, Kaladin is kind of pacing the room. Well, okay, here's, here's what I love. He wants to know what... Adolin is reading, but he doesn't want to ask and he doesn't want to be like obvious about it. So he goes under the pretense of inspecting what's in the hearth because he also talks about like it's a really new experience not being cold during a high storm. Yeah. And so he kind of makes his way like roundabout sort of a way to see that, oh, Adolin's flipping through a fashion magazine. <laughs> what a fop. For some, what has to strike, oppose and bear the weight of well-tailored clothes, and that is why the Lord created man. Oh, I love you, Scarlet Pimpernel. The original. Uh, oh, you like the Linda Eater demo version more yeah. than the stage version? Me yeah. too. Yeah. That's how psychic powers work. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, my favoriteest time I ever did something that felt so psychic is I was talking with my mom in the kitchen and we weren't like even talking about anything specific. And then she just goes, do you know when? And then she just pauses and looks at me and I look at her for a second and then go, the color guard instructor and the manager from the grocery store are getting married. No, we haven't gotten an invitation. And mom was just like, how did you know? Because we hadn't been talking about either of those people. And to this day, I don't know how I connected all the dots to this conversation. But that was like the most transcendently felt like I was like glimpsing into the future moment for me. That's awesome. 12 years ago, I've peaked. (laughs) Not when you got a five on the AP lit and the AP USA. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I didn't use psychic powers for that. Oh, I just used your brain. brain. <laughs> your regular brain. So, um, instead of there being a fire, there is a giant ruby in the hearthstone. And I'm picturing the one from Aladdin. Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> that Abu looks at and he's like licking his lips. Yeah. Okay. The silver chair. Yes. Um, they go down into these mines, and they go down deep enough that, that people eat gemstones. Yes. And I have always had a very specific, like, mental image of what it would be like to bite into an edible gemstone. And that ruby from Aladdin is one of the ones that I want to eat. <laughs> maybe one day. Well, maybe someday. Um, and so he's looking at it, and he's making observations as to why this shouldn't be possible. Mm-hmm. Like... A ruby that size, the light should be blinding him. Like, he's, you know, he's listing all these things in his head about, like, not how weird it is, but just, it's different. And Renarin is the one who pipes up. He says, never seen a heating Fabriel before, I assume. Renarin psychic like me! (laughs) (laughs) And I loved this because Adolin would never speak to Kaladin, ever. Nope. But Renarin, I feel, wants a friend 
and I feel that he senses a kindred spirit with Kaladin. Like, okay, Renarin has, like, I feel like he has all these unspoken wants and desires about, like, what kind of person he wants to be and how he can best serve his country, his family. And I don't know if it's, he has these because people tell him that's what a good Alethi person wants to be. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter because of his, you know. Issues. Issues, thank you. This is a really roundabout thought, so I thank you for sticking with me. Or if he wants to be something else, like Kaladin was told you need, you're going to be a surgeon, but he becomes a soldier instead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know if he sees, like, himself or, like, he sees himself as similar to Kaladin, even though he doesn't know Kaladin's story. I yeah. get that. Um, but I just love that he reached out to Kaladin first. Yeah. I That is that was my whole thing to say that I'm excited for their friendship. Rayful. Okay. <laughs> Please don't let Renarin be the bad guy and then they have to fight at the end. Rayful. Okay. Oh, and Kaladin has to hold himself back because he's just like, oh, that Stormlight, I want it. <laughs> he wants to bite the gem too! <laughs> oh, so it's fair that he can drink juice out of gems and I can't. <laughs> I want to drink them. <laughs> the forbidden snacks. <laughs> so Kaladin's a jerk here, okay? I'm going to say that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because that's when he notices that Adolin is the one doing a fashion magazine. And Kaladin just goes, fashion? Like, he says it out loud. Like, he didn't mean to say it. <laughs> but it just, like, popped out. <laughs> and he's like, you're spending the high storm looking for new clothing. And I'm just like, Kaladin, let people do what they want. It's his free time. So- Don't get people out of bed in the early morning just because you want them to get up and run around and get strong and carry bridges. He was trying to save their lives. Still angry about it. Do you know what? Do you know what? Why can't you sympathize more with Moesh? <laughs> I'm not gonna. Because he was also really mad at Kaladin for doing that. Yeah, well, everybody was. So yeah, okay. Moesh isn't special. <laughs> He's not. Anyway, um, remember in book one, when we were reading about Dalinar, and we would talk about in book one, it's so interesting to see... Someone who's gone through a pretty significant character change in their life already. That he's yes. like this older guy and that there's so much of his past. And and one of the things I harp about sequels all the time is that people don't know what to do with their heroes during the sequel. Yes. And they only make it about the sidekicks instead. Because Kaladin had a big arc in the first book. Yeah. But it was mostly like changing his physical circumstances. And we're at Went the very... A really short, trimby dude. He was always built. Listen, you know those 12 foot Home Depot skeletons? They're inspired by Kaladin. He's just giant. He's taller than even Dalit. But anyway, um, Kaladin is doing a little bit of an emotional journey in this book. Mm-hmm. Where... Uh, He's got to learn to play well with others, and he's got to learn to play a much different game than mm-hmm. he has before. That yeah. it's no longer about survival. Now he's doing, he's he's in, poli- like, not politics where, like, he's in a position of power, but, like... He's a pawn on the board now. Yeah, he's, he's working with people who are playing a very different game than he. And it's a really good observation. Thank You're you. Welcome. You know, I didn't... 
get an English degree like you, but I still feel like I have I some insights. I wasn't being sarcastic, sh- and this no. feels sarcastic to me. <laughs> what about this feels sarcastic to you? No, I was doing the thing because you're always like, I didn't go to art school. And now I'm like, I didn't go to English school. I'm trying to do your bit and I get it. It didn't work. It's your birthday. It's my birthday. (laughs) And you didn't let me do a bit. Sorry, do your bit. So I didn't go to English school. (laughs) (laughs) I have insights. have a beating heart <laughs> it's not all goof goof <laughs> moash and what have you <laughs> anyway so you're right kaladin is pretty short and snippy in the in mm-hmm. this chapter but since we're from his point of view kaladin thinks he's acting one cool <laughs> and two calmly and rationally and he's not <laughs> he's doing that thing that i hate that these certain gray's anatomy characters who shall remain Richard Weber. <laughs> uh, there are certain characters in Grey's Anatomy, and I'm Richard, Derek Shepard, and Isabel Stevens, who believe that their emotions are logic. And when they they believe that following their emotions means that they're following a logical path. And it's like, oh, you're creating so much drama in this television show. Anyway, Calvin's kind of doing the same thing where he yeah. thinks that his emotional feelings are logical facts. Yeah. Um, and I also like that that Brandon did that, but it, and he's taking it almost a step further, too, because, you know, Calvin's like, oh, fashion, you're doing this during the high storm. And Adolin snaps the thing closed like he's upset. But then Calvin says, you only wear uniforms. And he's confused. Like, he doesn't, like... I don't think he's trying to to connect with Adolin in any way, but he's just like, you what you're doing is useless, and Kaladin has to be of use. Like that's what drives him is to be of use, and I really think it's bothering him that this person is quote unquote skating through mm-hmm. something that has been handed to him and given to him, and didn't he didn't have to work for, and so seeing Adolin having frivolous behavior just, like, reinforces Kaladin's belief in mm-hmm. all of that. You know it's not real sports, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I love... Okay, this next part. Um, So, Megan and I have been watching a show called... Ruby's Royal, Royal Love, Love Inside, Inside the, pa- the Palace! I never get the title right. Um, But a lot of it is political machinations. And a lot of it is... It's my birthday, and I'm going to tell you guys about Rui's Royal Love Inside the Palace. So it's this, like, 80, 100-episode Chinese drama. Uh, We're watching it on Amazon Prime, and it is about a uh, the main character, uh, Rui, of the title. Isn't it historically, like, based? Yes. Okay. Okay, historically based. It's got historical names in it, but it's they play up the drama a bunch. So this girl, her aunt is currently the empress and this is during a time period in the 1500s in china where the emperor has a lot of wives and her biological aunt is currently the primary wife well there is a prince who is uh the son of a of a different wife and she and this prince were childhood friends 
And this prince wants to select Rui as his main wife. Mm -hmm. And it's during the wife choosing ceremony and he's going to pick Rui to be his primary wife when, oh no, some political machinations go through and Rui's aunt falls out of favor with the emperor. And Rui's cousin, who was the crown prince, is now stricken from the family record, which means the prince that Rui was just about to be engaged to is now next in line for the throne to be emperor. And he gets told, you cannot choose Rui as your main wife. You have to choose, you know, there's these other politically advantageous marriages. Mm -hmm. So Rui gets chosen as, like, second wife. He still gets to marry her because he begs his father, the emperor, for her. And the next 30 years are about the machinations of all of the wives inside the emperor's harem basically working out their jealousy over Rui because the main wife knows he wanted her. And you see all of these other wives because Rui is like sweet and she's kind and she's good. Earnest. Yeah. And you see all these other wives are like, she must be a schemer. She must be jealous of us. And... It's dramatic. And the costumes are so beautiful. And Emily, we're on like episode 30. Yeah. And out of like 87. (laughs) Yeah. I've watched it multiple times and I love it. In fact, I'm even like rewatching other episodes while Emily, like after Emily goes to bed at night. Uh, If you guys want a slow burn, uh, like political maneuverings show, Rui's Royal Love Inside the Palace is the one for Mm -hmm. you. Um, And I I bring that up because there are people who are really good at scheming and really good at getting other people to carry out their business without them realizing that they're being... Imperial concubines, yeah. Yeah, without other people realizing they're being manipulated. And then there are others who have that same drive but are so stupid in how they do it. Like Noble consort fui. Yeah, yeah. And I got those vibes from Elokar in this this chapter because uh, Adolin's just like, after he's been insulted, he's kind of like, why are you here? Like, no one's going to try an assassination during a high storm. And Kaladin starts listing all the ways that someone could be assassinated and how easy it would be. Um, he talks about the winds would cover shouts, help would be slow in coming. You know, seems like this would be the time that you need the most guards. I gotta replenish my fidget toy, which tonight is cross-stitch. The king stopped pacing and pointed. That makes sense. Why hasn't anyone else ever explained that to me? And he, like, looks at his guards who are, like, very long-suffering. <laughs> oh, do you know what? There are a lot of similarities between Elokar and um, Imperial Consort Hui. Yeah. Is that the Washa? Yeah. Washa! <laughs> Emperor! Emperor, pay attention to me! <laughs> <clears throat> Um, but one of the reasons that Kaladin's in here is he is determined to figure out who is writing these numbers on the wall because they appear after high storms. And he's determined to catch them because no one's caught them yet. I'm going to be special. <laughs> I'm the protagonist. <laughs> but we're also getting some more information. Like this is kind of a, I say info dump, but it's not info dumpy. It's, it's we're getting what's going on behind the scenes, listening to Navani and Adolin and Dalinar and Renarin talking because we're not, none of them are point of view characters right now, so this is the only way we can mm-hmm. understand what's going on. What's coming to you? <laughs> and so they're talking about 
how they were having a really hard time getting people to duel Adolin. And I find it so fascinating because Adolin's like, well, everyone said they wanted to duel me back when I wasn't dueling or couldn't duel. And now that I can duel, no one will do it. And I'm like, oh, they were talking a big game, weren't they? Yep. And uh, now that, now that, you know, cat's out of the bag and they can't get another duel at all. So they're having to like go lower and lower and lower in the ranks in order to get someone to agree to their plan. But. But. Oh, uh, so, okay. Maybe we talked about this in another episode. I believe good and evil, black and white. That's what I believe in. I also understand that there are varying shades of gray amongst those those things. And so we, he starts talking, Delinar starts talking about, oh yeah, I've been speaking with Amaram. And they start talking about like, Amaram wants to unite Sadius and Delinar again. And everyone's like, well, fat chance of that ever happening. Um, and Delinar's hoping that he can get Amaram to leave Sadius and come and be on his side. And they're talking about like, how it would be helpful and what Amaran would bring to the table and everything. And so it's just, it, it's, it's the idea of like, well, yeah, if Amaran came over, it would be so helpful, but he's all the things that he's done. And this later ties into the conversation that I feel that Kaladin and Dalinar have is Dalinar believes that Amaran is honorable, but yet he's done all of these things. And if we bring him over to our side, does that, do we just ignore what this is? And anyways, there's, anyways, it's just very interesting, so. <laughs> uh, Kaladin has exactly zero poker face when it comes to Amaram. Yeah. And so uh, Kaladin has zero bit of a poker face when it comes to Amaram, and he's already annoyed. Uh, he's grumpy about it, and, but the, the high storm's over, and it's time for everyone to go their separate ways, so Kaladin heads off to see his bridgemen who are standing guard outside. And, oh, yeah, you shouldn't have come. <laughs> um, he's going to go talk with the other bridgemen who are waiting outside. And Moash is out there and he's just pulled a double shift. And he's willing to go and do another shift because they are spread so thin. Mm -hmm. And poor Kaladin has the world, the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's trying to protect the king, and we've talked about all the things that he's trying to do. But one of the biggest uh, disadvantages is they just don't have enough people who they believe are loyal. Yeah. I mean, they have the numbers, but they don't have the guaranteed loyalty. Yeah. Like, in Rui, uh, there was just some machinations done against Rui, and she got put in a compromising position, but she's finally, like, back on top now, and they talked about hiring servants for her, that they had to, when they had to hire all new servants for her palace, they had to go back three generations in everyone's family to make sure there was, like, no debt or no, like, criminal history that would put them in the service of someone else in the palace who would plant them there. Blackmail. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, and we've seen this with, uh, we know people in camp are doing this because Eli has spies that she's, like, willing to place in the camp. And, like, Dalinar, um, the Colin camp, they have to re-people a ton of their different troops and their different bureaus and divisions and everything. And with so many new hires, there's no way that they can trust 
everyone who's coming in. Because it's guaranteed there's going to be spies. Yeah. Like, they're not, they're not thinking that they're going to, you know, be able to be spy-free. That's, that's just the way it is. But even with all this, Kaladin's trying to arrange people to cover all the shifts and everything. And then he, he talks to Dalinar. He's like, I have to talk to you. It is very important. And he almost loses his nerve a couple of times, but he's just like, Dalinar needs to know this. Like, I almost feel like Kaladin's not doing it to get Amaram in trouble. Like, it doesn't feel like a tattling session. It feels like this is for this man's safety. Yep. um, And this is going to help him make decisions that will keep everyone safe. And Mm -hmm. so I love that Kaladin not only has to think about the immediate consequences but he has to go a few like levels outward to be like okay not only is this going to affect me it will affect him it will affect the decisions he makes it will affect the political alliances he tries to make and so Uh Kaladin's kind of like nervous yeah but he tells him straight up yeah like I he tells him straight up what Amaram did what Amaram did and that Kaladin was the one who killed the shard bearer and in order to keep it Amaram killed everybody and Dalinar, Dalinar thinks about it for a minute and he's like, do you have proof? Not in a, how could you say this? If if you have proof, then like, it must be a lie or whatever. But he's just like, okay, okay, we need proof. And Kaladin like goes through all the reasons why he doesn't have it. Because Amaram made sure that that yeah. wasn't going to happen. Um and, you know, he, he does tell him, he's like, people saw this. Yep. But they're all in Amram's pocket, probably, and they're not going to back me up. Um, and so, <laughs> it was, like, my hopes got raised super, super high, and then they get dashed on the next page, because Dalinar says, have you told anyone else about this? And Kaladin's like, no. And he's like, okay, don't tell anybody else about this, I'll talk to Amram. And I'm just like, no! Oh, 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 you just are going to paint a target on Kaladin's back. Yeah, and like... Because Amram did everything he could to discredit him as mm-hmm. well. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, not only this, but like... And I'm not saying, like, what did Kaladin think was going to happen. Right. But I I feel like you and I... Like, I asked you to guess about this earlier. About, mm-hmm. like, okay, Kaladin tells Dalinar, then what? So... Kaladin is obviously, he's thinking what you're thinking, like, oh, great. He'll just talk to Amram, and what Amram will just tell him. Uh, so I think Kaladin feels that this whole, that this was a failure and a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Over, And it was something that was super important to him. And like you said, he didn't know how it was going to go, but he's disappointed with the way that it happened. Um, and Syl is so excited because she's like, he listened to you. And Kaladin's like, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. And he's having to explain to Syl. Like, he listened, but he didn't believe me. Yeah, yeah. And Syl makes some interesting comments. And it, it reminds me again that she's not just a regular person, but that mm-hmm. she really is kind of other. She's like Pattern. Yeah, yeah. She's, I feel like, older than Pattern or has been, like, alive, quote-unquote, a little longer, you mm-hmm. know. But she starts talking to Kaladin and she's just like, I thought things would be better when you were free from the bridge. So did we. So did the readers. <laughs> and um, she goes, I thought you were going to be like the person you were before. And he goes, that person is dead. Oh, 
and that's the hardest part because I feel like, okay, sort of from experience, not really from experience. Totally get this. When something happens to you, either a big event in your life, and you come out changed on the other side, it can be so difficult to reconcile the idea that like you can't go back to this person before because you you had this thing happen to you and it changed you. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to reconcile that sometimes because if you became the person you were before, that doesn't mean all your problems are solved. It means that like you're just in a more, I'm going to say innocent state, but does that make sense? Does that make sense what yeah. I'm trying to say? yeah. And how difficult it, it has to be to be like, to accept, no, I've, I've gone through this thing and I'm a different person now. How do I continue on to keep growing and become comfortable with who I am and mm-hmm. what I've experienced? Yeah. Oh, thanks, Emily. You're welcome. We meet another Herdazian. Hey, yeah, who is it? His name is Punio. Punio? P-U-N-I-O. Punio? But he's Lopin's cousin, and he's just joined Bridge 4. Can never have too many cousins. <laughs> I love this. Kellen is like, you can't just desert. And both Lopin and and Punio are just like, no one can tell us apart. Like, we do it all the time. <laughs> like, they just switch around. They're parent trapping. <laughs> he goes, fine, just pretend you're one of the Bridgemen from the start, all right? Bridge four, the man said enthusiastically. (laughs) But, like, honestly, if I had the option to just, like, walk away from being with High Prince, I don't know, Vama or whatever, and being like, "Mm, I'm bridge four now. (laughs) Yeah. Shen shows up again. Hey, Shen. He's back. This is a sad. This is so sad. But, again, this is the sort of philosophy that I love. Um, But he's speaking, and... He and Kaladin have this very interesting conversation because Shen is just like, do I get a spear? Like, am I going to be a part of this group? And Kaladin's just like, no. Like, you did so much for us. And I know it was so hard for you doing what we did. But I cannot give you a spear. And he's trying to explain, like, all the reasonings why. And they make sense. Uh But then Shen's going... So I'm a slave. Okay. Like, like they are all free. But I'm Bridge Four's slave. Yeah. Yeah. And it echoes the conversation Kaladin had with Dalinar at the end of the first book. Where Dalinar's like, you can be a captain, but I can't promote a dark eyes any higher. Even though, like, if Kaladin had been light eyes and done what he'd done, Dalinar would have given him, like, part of a princedom, I'm sure. Yeah. And, like, made him a lord. But culturally... It's just not done, okay? Yeah. It's just, that's that's not how it goes. Mm-hmm. And as much as Kaladin is like, ugh, light eyes are so horrible and they treat us all like this and, and why can't they just break the provisions of society and treat us differently? He's still entangled in his own, like... Societal role? Yeah, my brain's just giving me the phrase mental trenches. It's a good phrase, Okay, I yeah, guess. So, so Kaladin's stuck in the mental trenches... And realizing that giving himself, like, a huge blind spot. And it also echoes for me the way Shalon treated the parchment and the slaves in when she was um, taking them from Tavlakov. Yeah. That, uh, to quote 
Danielle from Ever After, you gave one man back his life, but did you even glance at the others? Like, she didn't even consider for a second taking the parchment with her because she deems them as part of this other Mm -hmm. that's just not only, like, not part of it for her, but, like, dangerous for her because of uh, Yasna's discovery of... So the dog just sat down and like tried to eat my embroidery thread. And now there's like a stretch of like 15 inches that's just gooey. Soggy. <laughs> anyway, um, it's, it's something that these characters aren't even registering, which mm-hmm. is sad until, like here it is with Kaladin, Shen has to point it out to him. Yes. And... I feel like Kaladin starts to get the, like, double standard. Mm-hmm. Because Kaladin's just like, oh, why did he do this? Like, and I'm just like, oh, you mean why did he point out something that made you uncomfortable in order to make his life better? How rude of him. Uh, he said he had a good life for a parchment. Certainly more freedom than any other of his kind. Like, he's trying to just, like, well, he has it better than he should. Yeah. And then a voice inside. And were you satisfied with that? Were you happy to be a well-treated slave? Or did you try to run, fight your way to freedom? And so this is such a great viewpoint for Kaladin to really, really stop and think about what's happening. Think about his place in the world. And as he's pondering these things, one of his men runs up and was like, The king, an assassin! End of chapter. Emily, what did you think was happening? I thought uh, that uh, Seth was here. I know, because the next chapter is called called Assassination. And then the very first sentence is, the king was fine. And I was like, oh my goodness. What a good chapter break. Can you give me the epigraph for Assassination? Yeah, it says, Night form predicting what will be, the form of shadows, mind to foresee. As the gods did leave, the night form whispered, a new storm will come, someday to break. A new storm, a new world to make. A new storm, a new path to take. The night form listens. From the Listener Song of Secrets, 17th stanza. Now, that's a different song than we've been getting in the epigraphs. It's longer. Yeah. I been, fe- oh, sorry. I mean, like, the actual song. We've been, we've been getting epigraphs from the Listener Song of Listing. And this is the Listener Book of Secrets. Oh, and the first one was the one of the wind or something. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Hey, uh, why is foretelling forbidden by the Voren Church? Oh, it's of the Void Bringers. <gasps> and they have a form that can tell the future. Woo! What sort of spren do you capture for that? I would think Shadow Spren. Have you seen the Shadow Spren? No. Okay. I just think, like, well, I thought it was, like, for spies. But that makes sense. Predicting <laughs> what will be. Okay, uh, maybe secret spren? Maybe there's literally a secret spren. <laughs> maybe. Okay. Betrayal spren? Is there a betrayal spren? That would be my favorite kind no, of We'll have to see. I didn't see any on the tower. Okay. But maybe someone gets betrayed later. Okay, I'm sure. I don't know. What could possibly drive someone to betray anyone in these books? But we'll just have to find out. Okay. Um... So Kaladin runs in and realizes there's not a person there that tried to kill the king, but there was an accident that needs some investigation. And, like, he's in the door frame, like, 
heaving like oh my gosh because he's run all the way there and Elokar is being treated for like a little gash on his forehead he's like at least he ran here at least he cares about me at least he tries <laughs> at least he cares oh and he he talks to um it starts with an I what's his name the captain of the king's guards we met him we did um have you noticed how Elokar continues to put his men down whenever that's what Kaladin I was gonna bring up something good yeah and Kaladin like mentally like face palms because he points that out he's like the king doing this to his own men and telling them like how much better we're doing their job because Kaladin wants them to work together he wants to work together with this group so um what happened is that there's like a balcony and we had talked about Kaladin had mentioned the balcony specifically when when someone was like well how can I in a high storm and Kaladin's like this this the balcony and Elokar's like Eh, mm, yes, mm, <laughs> genius. <laughs> and so, um, basically, what happens is there's a balcony out there where the king likes to go think, and there's a railing. Yeah, but and this is a habit of the king. Habit of the king. He usually goes and stands in the same spot and like leans over and like overlooks. I don't know if it's all the shattered plains or just the war camps or whatever, but goes out to look and think. Yes. Uh, do you remember where the king's palace is situated? No. Okay, so if you remember that map of the Shattered Plains that's got the ten war camps lining it, mm-hmm. the King's Palace compound is further east of that. It's an hour walk from the war camps to the palace. He's not in any of those ten craters next to the Shattered Plains. So, yeah, he's probably, like, looking out towards the camp, towards the Shattered Plains. Although, you know, a lot of uh, Alethi buildings don't have windows that deliberately faced eastward, so he's probably looking out the other way towards Alethkar. Okay. But someone has come and they have, they're trying to figure out how they loosened this railing enough. And it should have been impossible because the thing looked as if it had been constructed of wood and rope first, then soul cast into iron. And it's supposed to be incredibly secure. And they realize... It's been shorn off, but the only thing that could have done it was a shard blade. Oh, no. And the more they're investigating, the more they're realizing someone in the inner circle is responsible for this. Hey, buddy, you're okay. I don't think our listeners mind hearing a dog snore. Okay. Listeners write in and tell us. Do you hate dogs? (laughs) (laughs) Do you hate joy? Are you (laughs) non-balot? Um, at sis made me view it no sis made me view it at gmail.com there you go but Kaladin points something out which yeah exactly it's such a convoluted way to kill someone like an arrow to the heart straightforward good to go an assassin's knife whatever but the idea of like maybe the shard plate failed maybe that would work Maybe the you know the this would work with the railing being broken and, yeah. and the king falling to his death. But Kaladin's like upset a little bit about how complex yeah. this yeah. is. Yeah, the and and you mentioned the 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 shard plate failed. That like this goes back to book one where okay yeah the the gems in his plate cracked very easily, mm-hmm. but it wasn't enough to kill him. Yeah. And again, the we've got this balcony that the king is... The king's still wearing his plate, right? He I wears it so. everywhere. Everywhere. Um, gives out underneath his weight, but 
shard plate gives you really good dexterity and strength so he's able to catch it and hold on so like there's these assassination attempts that are framed to look like accidents mm -hmm. and gosh darn it elokar just keeps squeaking in under the line because here's the thing he already confessed to being the one that cut his own strap and i'm just like is this another boy crying wolf like i wouldn't put it past him if that is the case because it's almost like Okay, it's almost like Munchausers. Okay, that's not how you say it. Munchausen's Munchausen syndrome. <laughs> Munchausen's assassination syndrome <laughs> yeah. by proxy. By proxy. Where, you know, he's just like, people aren't paying enough attention to me. I'm going to fake another assassination. Or people don't take me seriously. I'm going to prove them wrong by faking another assassination to prove that someone is really out to get me. So I, I... Don't know how real I believe this assassination attempt was because it was so convoluted. Like, mm -hmm. uh, in the light of this, Dalinar decides to relieve Idrin of the post of King's Guard. Yeah, and then they decide to make Kaladin completely in charge of the king's safety. So, I'll ask him, Idrin, for his best men. Dalinar said. And those will be under your command for now. Use them as little as possible. I eventually want the king being guarded only by men from the bridge crews. Men you trust. Men who have no part in war camp politics. Choose carefully. I don't want to replace potential traitors with former thieves who can be easily bought. Yeah. And, and Dalinar also mentions he's going to make it completely clear that Idrin is not being punished. He's going to get a better position with like better optics, honor, glory, pay, all that sort of stuff. Because really, I do not think Idrin likes Elokar. No, and they talk about it in the in the first chapter of this this reading that um, anytime the, the horns sound to go out to fight the battle, Idrin would always look in that direction like he really wants to be out there. Mm -hmm. And so I think, yeah, you're right. He'd be relieved about this, so... Uh, so Kaladin's all worried about this, but um, Emily, this is this is almost like a little throw aside that Kaladin doesn't really notice. What is Elokar ranting about behind the closed door? Second to last paragraph. That nobody. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was ranting that nobody took his safety seriously, that nobody listened, that they should be looking for the things he saw over his shoulder in the mirror, whatever that meant. The tirade sounded like the whining of a spoiled child. Okay, I'm gonna keep going, and then okay. we'll go back and talk this. Kaladin looked at the twisted rail, imagining the king dangling from it. He had good reasons to be out of sorts. But then, wasn't a king supposed to be better than that? Didn't his calling demand that he be able to keep his composure under pressure? Kaladin found it difficult to imagine Dalinar reacting with such ranting, regardless of the situation. Your job isn't to judge, he told himself, waving to sail and walking away from the balcony. Your job is to protect these people somehow <laughs> like he understands the gravity like this is a nigh impossible situation mm -hmm. okay let's go i'm gonna jump back a little earlier i just remember that kaladin just looking over the edge of the balcony and moash is like can you back up please <laughs> and kaladin's like mm, i just love being up high <laughs> he's like i i i might be able to to survive that <laughs> I, if i felt i would be okay and it's like Listen, buddy, you're already very tall. How much higher does a person's eyes need to be? But this is so interesting because we've kind of been led to led to believe up to this point that, like, people who are chosen to be Radiants are, I mean, we have Kaladin, we have Yasna, we have Shallan, we have, like, these people 
who are chosen. But now we're also kind of starting to suspect that Elokar is one because he sees things. Mm-hmm. And that Gaz is one because he sees things out of his missing eye. And I just wonder, like, physically these people are changed because they can take in Stormlight and they can do all these things and become... Mm-hmm. more than they were and I wonder if like emotionally that is true as well or if like sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you nope, but nope, finish. my other thing is like is it like I can't think of a good way to to explain it other than are some people are allergic to becoming radiance like they're chosen to do it but like like it seems like it's driving Elokar and Gaz insane like it doesn't seem like it's working and so I just wonder if you're chosen if you're not compatible. I would I would point out that Shalon was not having a good time of it at the beginning too, and she thought That's she was right. being driven mad. Mm-hmm. And Kaladin even mentions uh, at the very very beginning when he's first talking to Syl that oh it's a sign of madness to be speaking back to a spread and everyone mm-hmm. in the wagon starts to look at him differently. So Emily, what qualifies someone to be a radiant? How do you get choosened? Like okay. So we're also going to talk about this some more in the next chapter, but it seems like history has has um, portrayed the Radiance as these noble, upright, amazing, perfect beams of power and light or whatever. But Shalon talks about the history that she's been trying to read and how a lot of the history is not actually history, it's just opinions people have written down. And so I feel like... Sorry, what was your question? I was going uh, somewhere. How are people chosen to be radiants? So initially, I would think, like, thinking initially that, like, oh, you're supposed to be this perfect, wonderful person that someone who, they only pick people who, like, fit these certain criteria. Sorry, I haven't answered your question yet. Um, the answer is I don't know right now. <laughs> okay. I have a question that might be a little more helpful. Okay. What makes a spren pick a human? Oh, they're drawn to what they have. Oh. So, uh, we... We know of, we don't know what type of spren Ivory is. Or like, Yasna mentioned it, but then she didn't really go into it because she's like, Ivory doesn't like to talk about it. Yeah. So we know more about Pattern, we know more about Syl. Syl was drawn to Kaladin's. Honor. And Pattern was drawn to Shallan's. Lies. So it seems like that, that spren don't, that spren are drawn to a certain aspect of a person and that there are at least 10 different types of spren that can make someone into a radiant. Okay. Um, now, what would it be about Elokar that is drawing a spren to him? Because we know that spren are drawn to a sensation and not necessarily a truth. Because there's that day that Elokar had all these glory spren around him for winning the race. Yeah. Even though... Dalinar let him win. That wasn't actually a glorious win. It only was from Elokar's perspective. Yeah. So Spren can be pulled in based on someone's perspective or emotion, and they may not be someone who, like you're saying, is qualified yeah. to be a radiant. And I love that you use the phrase allergy. Um, we met someone in an interlude who had a Spren, and this Spren was like when we first met Syl and when we first met Pattern, this spren was learning. Do you remember who it was? Was it the cobbler dude? Yeah. He had a little spren with him, but he was killed by 
the dude obsessed with justice, <laughs> the with the little scar on his cheek. Yeah. So a spren gets attracted to someone, to a thing about someone, mm-hmm. and then that person has to say some words uh-huh. in order to get fully radiant. It's like Kaladin had a power up when he figured out the right words to right. say. So there may be a lot of way more than we realize proto radiance or like early on radiance mm-hmm. that are spren are being drawn to them and they're interacting with spren but until they say the words they're not full they're on. not fully radiance that makes that makes total sense and pattern tells shalon that she said words before oh back um our our two episodes ago i think when um pattern's talking to shalon and then she just like blanks out while he's talking and he's like shalon you said oaths yeah and then Shalon imagines life before death, which we know is the first idea of the Night's Radiant. And then she shuts off and she doesn't remember. So it's possible that Shalon has said radiant words before, mm-hmm. but she doesn't, like, think about it anymore or it's not part of who she is anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I would think with Elokar, what they're being drawn to is one of his biggest personality traits, I don't know, is... I'm going to say stubbornness slash determination that he's mm-hmm. going to make someone believe him that this is really happening. And I'd say determination more than stubbornness. Well, stubborn determination, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, he talks about creatures with twisted heads and lines. The cryptics. So maybe Elokar has some big lies that they're attracted oh, to. Like, I'm the best king ever. Yeah. <laughs> I... People like me and people <laughs> respect me. Mm, lies. <laughs> Do you want to get down, buddy? Do you want to get down? Come here. Come here. Oofa. Oofa doofa. Okay. I was literally about to say oofa doofa out loud. <laughs> That's how psychic powers work. That's how psychic powers work. All right, so we're moving on to chapter 2410. Give me the epigraph. Decay form destroys the souls of dreams, a form of gods to avoid, it seems. Seek not its touch, nor beckon its screams. Deny it. Watch where you walk, your toes to tread, or hill or rocky riverbed. Hold dear the fears that fill your head. Defy it. From the listener song of Secrets, 27th stanza. Hey, hey, did you just say rocky riverbed? Yeah. Huh interesting to me anyway okay uh wow the listener song of secrets that one sounds not great not great at all so it looks like not every form is helpful but there are some bad ones actually yeah like there are things in this world that exist that you don't want to mess with yeah there's friend you do not want to bond with yeah or probably attract either so Um, I spreads rotten. Yuck. <laughs> it's got mold on it. It's like bad lunch turkey. I love, I love this next section because Shalon starts getting a view of the war that she never had before. Like Gaz is explaining basically what Kaladin has already come to understand is that the light eyed princess, the high princess got tired of war and instead started fighting for prizes. And this is something that nobody else knows. Everyone kind of, at least from what I understand, the Alethkar people believe that they're out there fighting for vengeance against King Gavilar's death. But when in reality, they're just making 
prize runs for gem hearts, you know. Like the PR version of the war is vengeance, but mm-hmm. gas is like no. That's not really what's Presence. happening. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of he's just like not that it's an excuse as to why he left, because we find out there are other reasons why he left. <laughs> yeah, there are. <laughs> Whew. But um but we're learning that there's more than one side to every story. There's more than two sides to every story. And there's more than one side to every person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that you like Gaz now. That I didn't say I you. liked him. I'm <laughs> saying I'm afraid that I'm going to like him. <laughs> uh, as he talks to her, what physical action does he keep doing? Oh, I didn't notice that. He just turns over his shoulder? Yeah, he keeps looking towards his missing eye. Oh, so he's still seeing stuff. He's still seeing stuff. Ooh. So, um, but Gaz and Red are fixing up one of the the slave wagons to be more of like a palanquin, I guess, to like convey this bright this brightness, you know, mm-hmm. in a in a manner which she would be accustomed to, you know, and. Gaz is showing some, uh... Initiative. Initiative, and is like, he has some carpentry skills, and he's like, oh, I just, you just pick stuff up, like, he, he's not saying where he got them or anything, and so... But we know it's the carpentry yards in Thaddeus' <laughs> war camp, and they were making the bridges. Yeah, um, and, you know, while this is going on, uh, Shalon is trying to figure out her next political move. Like... She goes to Yasna's notes because Yasna took notes on like all the high princes, and mm-hmm. Shalon's just like, "Well, if it doesn't work out with Adolin Kalin, like I need a backup plan." And she's considering Sadius, and I'm like, "No, no, don't go with Sadius." She doesn't know. Listen, Megan, what if she? What if she al- aligns with him? What I if? didn't even think that that could be a possibility. I'm just like, "No, Shalon will come, and we'll come into the Kalin camps, and everything will be great." But Megan. You got what you wanted too fast, and you should have doubted it harder. You're just like, oh my gosh, exactly what I wished for. And I'm like, Ugh. uh So you know how Dalinar adopted Kaladin as a new son? What if? Ugh. Because she's not looking for, because at first I'm just like, she can't marry Sadius because he's already married. He's already married. But she's looking for political alliances. For alliances. But interesting in this, uh, Tin, we find out later, she has invited Shalon into like, talk almost like woman to woman sort of a thing and she reveals that she knows Shalon is from a nobody house like Shalon has has portrayed herself as this huge like fancy fancy highborn lady with tons of money and everything and and Tin is just like you're from nowheresville like yeah and and the Devar house are you kidding yeah, yeah. and so yeah, Shalon's obviously keeping her radiant skills under wraps. Um, but the idea that she's valuable in a way that no one understands. Yeah. And if she says, I think if she says something, like like if she tries to explain who she is to the wrong person, I feel like the church is going to come after her. Because, like, Dalinar doesn't want to say much about his visions anymore. Like, you know... Kaladin doesn't want anyone to know what he does because he's afraid they'll take it away from him. Yeah. Like, I feel like this will be an issue of like, this will be (laughs) a problem for our girl. (laughs) This will be. And so, 
yeah, she's she's just like she's trying to come up with her next move. Um, um, before we jump too deep into the conversation with Tin, what's getting cooked around the campfire? And Shalon's like, mm, that smells good. Oh, curry, and it's savory, hot, spicy, edible ice. <laughs> <laughs> Edible? <laughs> Emily almost died trying to eat spicy food tonight. I did. Because she's lost her sense of taste, but she's kept her taste sensations. So she had a I bite of my... I was eating queso from Cafe Rio and it almost killed me. Like, the little... Yeah. The little... So, I don't Sore know if throat. it's a COVID thing or whatever, but it... The little pepper thing like traced itself along my tongue and down my throat and I thought I was going to implode. Listen, she was coughing and then she almost vomited. I (laughs) I was like, whoa, no more queso for you. But anyway, um, Emily, what are the like Vorin traditions of what men and women can eat? Um, It seems like sweet is more for the ladies and savory is more for the men. And Shalon's almost like, well, I want to try some. I bet I could sneak a taste. (laughs) And then just a bit later, Tin, what is Tin eating for dinner? She's eating the curry. She's eating the spicy curry. Because Tin's like, do you know what? Screw the system. Yeah. (laughs) What are you going to do? Arrest me. (laughs) And she, we we also learn a little bit more about Gaz as, as, you know, she's trying to figure out what's going on and she starts talking to Gaz and, um... Because people have, like, ribbed him about, like, all the debts he's had. And he's just like... Yeah. He's like, well, one person that I owe money to died, so... That was Lamoureux. That was great. <laughs> but he owes eight ruby bromes. That's a lot. Yeah. That, like... Pretty sure the slaves that Shalon bought, that their slave price was in the ruby brome range. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Gaz owes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, and so Shalon's just like, that is a lot of debt. Are you a gambler? And he goes, sure. Like, yeah. And she knows from like, she's like, okay, I want to find out what's going on. But he's being all cryptic as well. Um, and so she doesn't really get a, a straight answer from him, which I found fascinating. So Emily, if he's not a gambler, how is he getting to debt? I am so afraid. Here's my fear. I fear that he's giving to charity. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm calling chills on that right now. Not charity, but like he's he's trying to take care of someone. Uh huh. And he's just secretly so good. He's just such a good person. Like his bluth who never gonna hurt. make me look bad when I like rail against him this whole time and like ranted and was like, "Gas is terrible." And now we're gonna find out that. He sends this off to orphans or whatever, and I'm gonna look stupid. Okay, 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 Emily, you're 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 approaching these characters with a sort of, like you mentioned, very right and wrong morality. Are very, you telling me how I need to, how I should experience the book? You're not letting me experience just, the just, book. Just myself. listen to me for a second. Okay. Uh, there's a phrase like for this, like me. moral singularism, where something is good. Or it's bad. And there is no in between. 
and that if you are to show any love or compassion to a bad person, that makes you bad and wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But you are afraid that if you treat Gaz badly, you will find out he's good and that will have made you wrong. Okay, that I do ascribe to. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put some thoughts together here about how like I just don't like being wrong and I'm gonna get proven wrong so many times that no one is a perfect person and everyone does things that they regret like Kaladin is probably the closest we have to a really good perfect boy and he has regrets and he has flaws and his temper, like, his derision for the princes, his, you know, like, rage at Dalinar for not instantly believing him about Amram doesn't make him a bad person. It just, like, makes him an imperfect person. And the stuff that we talked about with Bluth was so fascinating to me where you're like, no, he just, he's a new hire. I didn't want to believe anything. He didn't do any of the bad stuff that the other people did. He just happened to be traveling with the bad people, even though he's a good person. When instead, isn't it much more inspiring and valuable to think like this bad person who probably was planning to send everyone to their deaths, even someone as terrible as Bluth is, just needed a little push from Shalon to change and like go the other direction that sorry thank you for listening to me preach at you (laughs) tell me how wrong I was but but I that's one of the things I love about these books is like how far can someone go before they can turn it around and be a good person is there a point of no return is there a point of no return Mm -hmm. uh you love Seth. I do. He's killed <laughs> hundreds of people. Against his... Against murdered his... them. <laughs> burnt out their eye sockets. And even used some martial arts every once in a while. <laughs> Dalinar, the Blackthorn, has also killed, like, I'm sure hundreds of people mm-hmm. assisting Gavilar on his quest to create Alethkar. But we're seeing the part where Dalinar's struggling and trying to be better. And mm-hmm. he's trying to turn that around. And there are people in his life that that Sadia sees it as a weakness. Other people see it as insincere. They mm-hmm. don't believe that someone like Dalinar could turn it around. Could have that side to him. To your knowledge, Moash hasn't killed anyone. <laughs> but he still hate his guts. And I'm wondering, is there anything Moash can do to turn you around on him? Yes, so, there is. What he is needs it? to... Jump in front of an assassination tent for Kaladin and give his life. He would if, if Kaladin wasn't throwing himself in front of everyone all the time. It's like that. Is it the how it should have ended for Avengers Infinity War where Nat and Clint keep throwing themselves yeah. in front of each other and then they both end up falling off the cliff for it? Okay, so I, w- I would like to put a pin. Okay, that's one of my... I don't think it's a theme in these books that have been super stated, but it's a theme that I've read into these books that I'm super interested in. And mm-hmm. that is, how far can you go before turning it around? And is turning your own life around, is that justice? Yeah, is that justice compared to what you've done? And this is, again, taking us back to 
One, the lesson in the alleyway. Mm -hmm. Is it right for Yasna to have killed those men for the killing that they have done? Uh And it takes us back to the interlude with the shoemaker. Is it right that he lost his life for being part of a murder plot that lost someone else their life? Yeah. How far is too far Mm -hmm. and killing? Yeah. And can you say, well, it was for the greater good? Or does it matter, you know, in each and every instance sort of? Yeah. Uh, what is the, what is the life of a man worth? Are some men's lives worth inherently less than others because they themselves have done bad things? Mm -hmm. And can can you improve your worth by, by doing good? These are great books. I'm not arguing that. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) what got me going on this? (laughs) Oh, it's gas. It's blue where you're like, he gives money to charity. Maybe he is a murderer for hire and he didn't murder someone, but now he owes all this money. Or maybe he blackmails people or maybe people blackmail him. Like, I was trying to do a character arc of like, well, we think he's a terrible person. Uh What's a good thing he could do that might get him in debt? I don't know, but the stuff he did in book one was bad. It was very bad. Like, I, this... I have no qualms about, oh, he's a new hire. Like, even though technically he is a new hire. Shalon doesn't know this about him. Yeah. If she does, like, know and understand the depth of what he did in book one, will that change Shalon's opinion of Gaz? Yeah. I don't know if it would with Shalon. She keeps surprising us. (laughs) Sorry. Brought it all the way around. (laughs) What's it going to take to change Dalinar's opinion of Amaram? Because Amram has done a lot of good. Because, yeah, and, and Dalinar's big thing is Amram is an honorable man. And, and Kaladin's s- like, no, he did a super dishonorable thing. Yeah, and so I don't... Here's the thing. I'm trying to get all my thoughts in a row. I would hate it if Dalinar had to see Amram be dishonest before he did something about it. Or dishonorable, not dishonest. But... It doesn't feel like Dalinar can just take Kaladin's word for it, but I almost feel like he has to with everything Kaladin's done mm-hmm, for him. Mm-hmm. So this, I'm so intrigued on how this is going to be handled. Like, so intrigued. Because I, I don't know. Like, I, I can't think of what it would take. Because here's the thing. Like, he need like, having Amaram would be a huge bonus for him. Yeah. But so would having a shard blade and he just gave it up for the bridgeman. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. I don't know. Oh, is he trying to get a shard blade to replace the one he gave away? Well, I'm hoping they do that with um all of Adolin's duels. I'm hoping that turns Nobody's out well. Nobody's dueling him. Nobody's dueling Adolin. <laughs> My question is, and this has I don't think it's popped up in the books yet, so I don't know if this is going to be addressed or whatever but are some shard blades i'm going to say better or stronger than others or are they all like equally cool i'm going to sparkly rainbow that <laughs> okay good job you got a sparkly rainbow got, got a rainbow bro <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh shalon shalon uh is hanging out with tin Hanging out with Pattern. Hanging out with Pattern. Just because I want to bring this up because we learned some stuff. We learned that Spren can have Spren. 
like another layer to this very cool world. We talked about this. Yeah, yeah. And so this is where it's like confirmed, confirmed. And Pattern doesn't really want to like say it, but Shalon's like, no, it's very important that you tell me. And Shalon, because she's upset that a lot of the history books that she's reading are wrong. Are wrong or just opinions. And so she starts writing down what is being told, interestingly enough, by a lie spread. Earlier we saw Syl say like, ugh, I wish I could attract spread. I should have glory spread all around my head right now. Mm-hmm. So Syl says they can't. Pattern says they can. Yeah. I I am so excited to learn more about like the culture, community of Spren. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just um, want to go do a field trip in Shadesmark. Yeah. And we're going to wrap up the chapter by talking about Shalon's conversation with Tin. Overall, because Tin has done her research on Shalon and has revealed, hey, you're nobody. How did, how did Tin get all this information so fast? Oh, she has a span read. <laughs> <laughs> Emily was just about to say raid spread. I saw it in her eyes. And I just gave her a look and she like flipped through the book for a second. And she's like, span read. <laughs> <laughs> I can learn. Where she, because Shalon's like, oh, that's interesting. And it's revealed that, yeah, Tin has figured out that Shalon's a con woman. That's what she is. She's a total con woman. And Tin wants in on it. And Shalon's like, yes. Yes. I am a con woman. Uh Uh-huh. And Tin's kind of like, have you done this before? Because, like, you're getting to the hardest part, which is, like, convincing everyone, like, they have what they want before they realize you've tricked them and you're out of town. And she's like, are you a con woman? Like, (laughs) oh, I loved this. Um, Because she's listing, like, House Devar is a small, out-of-the-way house with large debts and an erratic house leader who may or may not be alive. He has a daughter, Shalon, whom nobody seems to have met. And Shalon goes, I'm that daughter, so I'd say that nobody is a stretch. Like, I just love that she's still being, like, sarcastic as I'll get out. Yeah. So, Tin and Shalon are going to be con buddies, and Tin is going to teach her some stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds like maybe somebody found their Yoda after their Kenobi. <gasps> I was going to say that. I, I knew. Was gonna say that. <laughs> That's how psychic I, powers work. <laughs> I wanted to be like, it's it's her it's her temporary Yasna mentor. It's, listen, if you don't have authentic Yasna at home, con Yasna is fine. <laughs> because this woman is larger than life. Uh, I, I would even go so far as to call her Yasna's foil. <laughs> Don't stab me with your needle. I will sew your lips shut and do this podcast by myself. <laughs> Serves you right. I can't keep COVID on purpose. So mean. <clears throat> but yeah, that, that was one thing that had run through my mind that I'm like, oh, this is this is temporary, Yasna. And I found it interesting, and I won't go through all the all the examples, but sometimes Tin will ask her a question, and Shalon will answer with the absolute truth. Okay, I will say I will say one more. She's like, "You're uncertain, aren't you?" In over your head, most definitely, Shalon said. Like she's very open and honest, but some of her answers are kind of lies, but kind of like yeah. you see the lie, the pattern of lies and yeah. truth that she does, and how she weaves 
her conversation and is kind of manipulating Tin into, like, believing yeah. a very specific thing about her. Because Shalon's been putting on a front of being, like, larger than life and inspiring people and doing all this stuff. And now she's, like, letting Tin believe what Tin wants to believe. Letting Tin write Shalon's story. Yeah. How's that How's that going to go for them, do you think? Okay, so here's here's my question is... Um, because she, she says like, why, what are you hoping to accomplish in the Shattered Plains? That's what Tin has asked Shalon. And she says, I dot, 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 know something about Dalinar Kulin. What does she know about Dalinar Kulin? I thought she was just coming to tell people she knew what void bringers were. I think that's a lie. Like, oh, okay. I know something about Dalinar Kulin. I think she's like, I just have to get to the Shattered Plains no matter what. And uh-huh. Tin's going to help me if I'm a con woman. Great. I don't think she knows something specific about Dalinar, but she has information she wants to give Dalinar. Yeah, yeah. And she needs to tell everyone that Yasna's dead. Temporarily dead. Gone from this <laughs> earth. This mortal coil shuffled off. Trapped in Shadesmar until someone comes to rescue her. Buried in the life. depths of the ocean. <laughs> She washed up further down shore and Shalon just didn't wait long enough. He for just her. walked in opposite directions. <laughs> We're seeing like an American tale version of like Shalon crying as she's looking at the ocean and like then like the camera rack focuses and like we see Yasna way up in the brush, like looking out on the over the frostlands, being like, Everyone's gone, I'm the only survivor. <laughs> Oh, so those were our chapters for this week. All right. Let me talk about our radiance real fast. Uh, so in chapter 22, Lights in the Storm, Emily, tell me about the radiant pictures. Um, there, I think there's a man and a woman. I'm pretty sure. Uh, is that significant that they're in pairs like the listener's? War pairs are. Ooh, that might be significant. Mm. Although, we did have two dude heralds in the previous chapter. Oh, that's true. Okay. But, uh, do you recognize... I recognize the one with the hood, but I can't remember his name. It's Nalen. Nalen. He's the herald that's, like, all about justice and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the other one is Chach. She represents bravery and obedience. Okay. And that didn't really seem like Kaladin was being obedient this chapter. So maybe, maybe it's a reminder yeah, to be obedient. She's like, come on, Kaladin, you can do better than that. All right. Assassin is two, uh, well, it's Yezrian and Yezrian. Like, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, that's it's Yezrian twice. Yeah. Um, and Emily, what's Yezrian dude of? Everybody. Storms. Yep. Mm-hmm. Honor. Honor. So, uh, this is the chapter where Kaladin brings up Amram. Amram. Double honor, because it was a really honor. bad situation. Uh, hey, wait, real fast. I'm so sorry. Pattern and Shalon's conversation. Um, Shalon and Pattern are talking about, you said you want to know more about, like, spread cultures and things. And Emily, it's not that Spren have their own Spren. Okay. He said Voidbringers have their own Spren. Um, 
yep, you're right. <laughs> Emily was like, Sprite, have Sprite. And I'm like, pretty sure Syl said the opposite of that. But Sorry. Emily's the one holding the book, so I believe her. But yeah, <laughs> Voidbringer have Sprint. And here's... Sorry. Here's a little important quote. Okay. Spren are power. Shattered power. Power given thought by the perceptions of men. Honor. Cultivation. And... And another. Fragments broken off. Oh! Oh, I can't believe we didn't talk about it. I know! Another, Shalon prodded. Pattern's buzz became a whine, going so high-pitched... She almost couldn't hear it. Odium. So we have honor, cultivation, odium. We've heard odium and honor. Cultivation is a new one. Uh, Yasna mentions that cultivation is someone who is worshipped in the in the East. We have one time heard about cultivation. <laughs> and, all right, I'm going to dot drop something. Okay. Syl says she's a tiny piece of a... God. And... So if you put all God the God together... Is dead. And who's one of the people that Pattern listed? Honor. So, yes. if Honor is a god, and Honor and Cultivation and Odium are all three... Dead. Nope. (laughs) All three of them are... Gods. Yes. Thank you. So, there were three gods. Honor is dead. And now we've only got... Two. Two. So, are all spread from Honor... Are they? Like if all the sprint of the world united, would we get honor back? Um, He says that some are from honor, some are from cultivation, and some are from... Odium. Which I'm assuming the one with the red eyes is from Odium. That seems like a really good <laughs> guess. <laughs> uh, so that leads us to the end of this week's reading. Uh, we've gone through our heralds. Oh wait, no, our last ones. We've got... Yezrian and no that's the next chapter oh okay well I was gonna do I was gonna do the song and we sang a bit of it this week the song is called the creation of men and it's from the Scarlet Pimpernel musical and this is in honor of Adolin and his fashion yeah strutza what's up roosters do he who owns a cock's gonna never fail Stallions, more so a boss or stags, or the goosey and the gander, so which gender is the grander, so to render for the gander, so the gender is the males. Goosey fully, uh, what is he talking about? <laughs> um, so, next week, we are going, or sorry, next reading, we are going to be covering chapter 25, Monsters, which I love. <laughs> uh, chapter 26, The Feather, and chapter 27, Fabrications to distract. Ooh. And because because 27's a short flashback. Okay. And we're also going to read 28 Boots. And so I'm going to... You're welcome, listeners, for putting monsters and boots in the same reading. <laughs> Everyone's going to have a great time. But I got to jump onto my call. I got to go take a nap so I can get over COVID. All right. I believe in you. I believe in you too. Ready? Ready? Break. Thank you again to everyone who has listened to My Sister Made Me View It, the Stormlight Archives, where we're covering Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. 
Also, a special thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm. Uh, if you all didn't know, we actually use that song for all of our other podcast feed where we're currently doing uh, one that's covering the Roswell, the 1999 series on the WBCW, whatever. Uh, we're into season two. This is one where Megan has not seen it. I've seen most of it by this point, and that's what we talk about. We also have a miscellaneous feed where we've already covered the entirety of Our Flag Means Death. The next thing we are going to do is One to Watch by Kate Stamen London, which we're very excited about. So if you want to read that, get caught up, we're going to be hopefully starting that one soon. Um, so if you come back in a week, we will have our next episode of Words of Radiance. And then a week after that, uh, we'll be Roswell again. Nope, switch those. Next week after this is Roswell, and then the week after that is another Words of Radiance. Um, again, we're just so excited. We hope to see some of you uh, at Dragonsteel, where, again, Meg and I are going to do a live episode of My Sister Made Me View It. We are going to be covering, I know for sure, White Spine Uncaged, and I can't remember what the other one is, but I think one chapter after that, I think that's what we're doing. Meg, you're going to have to correct me if I am incorrect. Anyways, hope you guys all have a great week. We think you're fabulous. And remember, we believe in you. <laughs>